Right, hi everyone. Good morning. What a great start to the Sunday, wasn't that? That was amazing. Really good. I'm going to continue our series in the book of Colossians, looking at Jesus changes everything full stop. I wonder, has anybody here ever suffered a case of mistaken identity? Ever happened to anyone? Probably most of us have experienced that in some form or another, like, for example, a little child pulling on your leg, thinking you're their parent, only to find, often to their distress, you're not who they thought you were. Or maybe you tap someone on the shoulder, thinking they're a long-lost friend, only to discover they're not who you thought they were. I remember when I was a teenager kicking my football over the next-door neighbor's fence. Normally, my skills don't cause that type of thing to happen, but on this one occasion, it did. And I I went to the next-door neighbor, and I knocked on the door, and I said, Hi, uh, Roger, my ball has gone over your fence. Please, can I come and get it? I said it so kind of -of matter-of-factly that he obliged straight away. I went in and got the ball. So only afterwards, I realized his name's not Roger at all. Uh, His name was Neil. Roger lives the other side. Uh, Mistaken identity. Some of you will know that I'm a fan of the film The Lord of the Rings. And at the beginning of that first film, Gandalf arrives at the Shire. And all the kids are really exciting because he always has a whole bunch of tricks when he ever arrives at the Shire. But there's also another hobbit that scene in that early scene. And he looks pretty grumpy, a kind of grumpy-looking hobbit with a scowl on his face. And immediately we think, we know what this hobbit's like. No, no fun at all. But then as Gandalf goes past in his cart, he then lets off all these fireworks behind him. And then this hobbit's face turns into a whole picture of delight. And we realize he's just as pleased as the kids to see Gandalf. And Actually, as an audience, we've got this hobbit all wrong. He's not who we thought he was. If I say the word God to you, what do you think of? What immediately comes to mind? The majority of people in the world believe in God. But the answers given to that question will be vastly different depending on who you speak to. Some associate the word God with a kind of cosmic energy, some sort of impersonal force that's out there. Pantheists think that God is in everything, so this chair is God and this bit of paper is God. Or polytheists will think that there's a company of God, lots of different gods. Some think of a singular, all-powerful creator, the originator of all things, whose identity is primarily found in being the absolute singular creator, like our Muslim friends. What do you think of? What does the Bible say? Well, that is what we're going to look at this morning in this next part of our Colossians series. And what we're going to discover together is that The only right way to think about God is to see Jesus. It is only through Jesus that God can be known. Any other starting point and you end up with a misrepresentation of God, a different God to the God of the Bible, a mistaken identity. The Bible says there is no other God than the one revealed in Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. He's the radiance of the glory of God, Hebrews 1.3. When you've seen him, you've seen the Father, John 14.9. 
And so Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have any other starting point, it will not be the Father you come to. It will not be the God of the Bible. Not the God as he's revealed himself, the true God through Jesus. Jesus is the way. And the writers of the New Testament say about Jesus the things that previously had only ever been said about Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham. Jesus didn't come to replace Israel's God. He came to reveal him as he really is. And so here in the passage of Colossians we're going to look at, the Apostle Paul, along with all the other New Testament writers, is going to declare Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Yahweh. See him and you've seen God. Or as Glenn Scrivener puts it, Jesus is God-sized and God is Jesus-shaped. So what should you think of when you think of God? And what kind of a Lord is Jesus? Well, that's what we're going to look at. So if you open up your Bibles, if you've got them, otherwise it's going to come on the screen. We're in Colossians and we're going to be in chapter 1 starting from verse... 15. And it says this He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is an amazing, rich passage. And what we're going to do is work through it one line at a time. And we're going to do that by asking ourselves the question, what is God like? And we're going to see that in Jesus, we see uh, the God of creation and the God of new creation. And I'm going to ask you at the end, who is your God? Who's your Lord? Okay, so that's where we're going. So firstly, we see in Jesus the Lord of creation. It says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Bye-bye, Nathan. <laughs> Love Nathan. He is the, the friend. Oasis Church is friendly. Nathan embodies that. <laughs> now, when Paul calls Jesus the firstborn over all creation. What does he mean? Well, I think let's first of all be clear about what he does not mean. He is not saying that Jesus was the first thing to be created. Paul clarifies that by clearly stating that all things were created by him and he is before all things. Jesus is creator, not created. There never was a time when Jesus was not. God has eternally been Father, and he has eternally loved his Son in the communion of the Spirit, 
one God in three persons, united in love. That's why 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. There was a time when there was no creation. But there was never a time when there was no Son of God. Just as there was never a time when God was not a father. And here, Paul says... Jesus is the image of the invisible God, meaning he is the way in which God expresses himself. He is the eternal word who in the beginning was with God and was God, as John says in the very first verse of his gospel. So any visitation anyone has had of the living God was an encounter with Jesus. Take, for example, Abraham outside his tent, or Moses at the burning bush, or Joshua with the commander of the army of the Lord, or Daniel seeing one like the Son of Man, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego joined in the furnace by one who looked like the Son of God. All accounts in the Old Testament, all encounters with Jesus. It's through Jesus that God has made himself known. That's why it is written in John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who's at the Father's side, has made him known. So firstborn here is not talking about Jesus' origins. It's talking about Jesus' status. Throughout the Bible, the term firstborn is given to describe the person who is an heir. When Colossians says Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, it's saying he's the heir of all the creation. So Prince Charles is the heir to the British throne. Jesus is the heir of all creation. It's his, belongs to him. That's verse 15. Verse 16 says, by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All of creation The stuff we see, the stuff we don't, came into being by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. So let's take that last bit initially. It's all for Jesus. Well, in that sense, creation is the Father's gift of love to his Son. So to unpack this further, think about an expression of love-creating life that we're all familiar with in one form or another. The original plan was always that children would be born into a family in such a way that they kind of embody the love between a husband and a wife. So man and wife come together, they express their love in physical union, and life bursts out. Children, in that sense, are a bit like the physical incarnation of a particular love. It doesn't always work out that way, but that's the original design. So in the same way, creation... (coughs) is the embodiment of the love of the Father to the Son in the Holy Spirit. Creation is all for Jesus and by Jesus. So what kind of a Lord is Jesus? What's God like? He's the Lord of love, having eternally enjoyed the love of the Father. And he's the Lord of life, overflowing with life that spreads out, communicating itself. So creation tells us truths about Jesus. Creation is not bland and boring and uninteresting. It's full of color and taste and texture and sound and harmony and beauty and mystery and humor and vastness and vibrancy. And why should it be like that? 
why should a curry be so tasty? Why should music sound so good, whether you're into UK Garage or whether you're into, you know, Mozart and stuff? Why should... Why should there be colours and shades? Garage. garage. <laughs> <laughs> just translate for everybody. It was garage. Depends whether you come from the home counties. <laughs> Why should some people know how to speak and others not so much? Right? <laughs> Why should physical matter be so exciting, surprising, meaningful? The chances are stacked against it. But things are that way because Jesus is that way. He is full of all things lovely and impressive and desirable and beautiful and good. Creation tells us truths about him. Let me give you two brief examples about that. One from the night, one from the day. The other night I was outside looking up at a clear starry sky. Now this was not that clear starry sky. I was in <laughs> Birmingham, uh, but we do have clear starry skies. And I was looking up and I was just struck by how far away these stars are. I mean, the average visible star is hundreds of light years away. And so as I was kind of st- stood in my garden looking up, I just kind of imagined myself taking off and heading towards those stars kind of at the speed of light. And and the earth getting smaller and smaller and smaller behind me. And it's really quite intimidating. Like it's such a distance away, the stars. And actually in comparison to that vastness, you just feel so small. But then I remembered that in Psalm 36 and verse 5, it says, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. And then I realized that at least part of the reason why the universe is so big is to communicate to us the truth of the love of God, the size of his love, and the extent of his faithfulness in Jesus. Creation preaches Jesus to us. And so I went from overwhelmed by the distance to overwhelmed by love, the love of God. Or consider the sun rising in the morning. Um, as it rises, it shines forth light and warmth, and it produces color and beauty and food for nourishment and life. The world comes to life with the rising of the sun, and all the creatures of the earth depend upon it. We're barely conscious of how much we depend upon the sun. We'd know about it if it were taken away. The great ball of fire in the sky is positioned at just the right distance to give us everything we need, but not too much. And then listen to Malachi 4.2 as he speaks of the sun of righteousness, which will rise with healing in its wings. He's talking about Jesus. And then you realize that at least part of the purpose of the sun is to reveal to us what Jesus is like. He's the life giver who seeks always to communicate himself to us, shining his light and his warmth, spreading it over us to chase away darkness and heal and nourish and bring forth life. Creation speaks of Jesus. All things were created through him and for him.
Verse 17 of Colossians 1 says, In him all things hold together. Jesus sustains everything. All the particles that make up the atoms, that make up the molecules, that make up the cells, that make up the tissues, that make up the organs, that make up the organ systems, that make up your body, are sustained by him, held together by him. You're the product of his imagination, written in his code called DNA. And kept each day by his sustaining supply of life. You may not be conscious of it, just as you're barely conscious of your dependence upon the sun in the sky. But your every second depends on him giving you each breath and how freely he gives. All the galaxies of the universe are held in such a delicate balance. The gravitational forces exerted by each star and planet of each galaxy galaxy are are tuned to such detail that life can be sustained against all the odds. A fraction in one direction, everything would pull apart and disintegrate. Fraction in the other direction, everything would collapse in on itself. But it's held and sustained in this beautiful balance. Designed so carefully, maintained so precisely. And so creation is not like a watch that was once upon a time made and then left to tick away. That's not what the Bible reveals is the truth. No, according to the Bible, it's more like more like this. Vince, could you help us? What's it more like in the way that God sustains all things? How great the heart, how great. Wow. Sometimes you've just got to phone a friend and uh, let someone else make the point much better. Um, That's right. The beautiful, powerful note being sustained at all times by the composer of that note, that's what Jesus' relationship to creation is like. The one in whom all things are held together. Or as Hebrews puts it in chapter 1, verse 3, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is Lord of creation. What kind of Lord is he? What kind of a God does he reveal? He's the giving Lord, the one from whom flows life and light and power and beauty and nourishment to create and sustain. That's what Jesus is like. That's what God is like. He's the Lord of creation. But he's also the Lord of new creation. So in verse 18, Paul says, And he is the head of the body, the church. So it is true that through creation, we can come to know truths about Jesus, seeing what God is like. But those truths spoken by creation are only illuminated to us as we see God in the person of Jesus breaking into human history recorded in his word. God loves to make himself known in relationship because he's a relational God. God is love. And so after declaring the power of Christ in creating and sustaining all things, Paul, the writer of Colossians, is not coming down but going up a further notch when he says, about Jesus' relationship to the church. Jesus gives himself to his people, such that by faith in him, 
we have union with him and are joined as closely as a head is joined to its body. For what purpose? Precisely so that all his fullness and goodness and life may flow from him into us and from us to the world around us. In a few weeks' time, we're going to be celebrating Christmas, singing, He came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all. And we're going to sing, Very God, now in flesh appearing. It's mind-blowing, these truths that we sing every year. In the historical flesh and blood person of Jesus of Nazareth, God, the Son, the eternal Son, creator and sustainer, came amongst us. God in flesh, Emmanuel. Doesn't that blow your mind? Doesn't it thrill your heart? It, it, it should. God with us as a baby, born in time and space 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. Growing up and learning a trade in Nazareth, reaching out to people throughout Judea and the surrounding area, teaching and performing miracles, killed in Jerusalem, raised on the third day, starting new creation. Tom Wright, he says this, that the true humanity of Jesus is the climax of the history of creation and at the same time, the starting point of the new creation. Right adds, the world may now learn the gospel, from the gospel, the full truth about the God who made it. The incarnation and crucifixion of Jesus were self-revealing and self-fulfilling actions. Jesus came as the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. Everything that had been spoken when they promised that God would visit his people and come to them in the Messiah, the saviour of the world. He came to make a people his own, join them to himself. And so Paul says in verse 18, he is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. Then everything, he might be preeminent. Now the Greek word for beginning here captures the idea of source or creative principle. So just as Jesus is the source of all life and creation, all of it made by him and for him, so he is the source of all new life in salvation and new creation. On the third day, after Jesus' crucifixion, he was raised to life. This is the central claim and belief and centerpiece of all Christian hope and joy. He appeared to Mary and to the women. He appeared to Peter and to the disciples. Over 40 days, he appeared to over 500 people. And after that period, he ascended, and all those appearances suddenly stopped. But in that 40 days, he was seen and touched and fed and spoken to. He had gone through death and out the other side. Jesus is the beginning, the source, the creative principle of resurrection life. Death is a foreign invader in God's creation, and Jesus has overthrown it. What kind of a Lord is Jesus? He's the Lord of resurrection, the Lord of hope, the Lord of new beginnings. That's what you should think of when you think of God. 
his resurrection spoke a word to the whole universe that God has not given up on creation. God is about restoring it, renewing it, joining it back to the life giver, which is his son, Jesus. And it's starting with the church. Those who trust in Jesus, who receive him as their Lord and Savior, become joined to him through that faith and joined also to one another. One body united to one head, Jesus Christ. And where the head goes, the body has to follow. That's just the way it works, isn't it? I mean, you're all delighted that my body followed my head into the cinema today. <laughs> Otherwise, this would be memorable for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> Jesus, the head, is the beginning of resurrection life. And as he has gone through death and out the other side, so shall we. That's the Christian hope. From him flows to us resurrection life. And from us, it must flow out to the world around us. This means no fear in death. This means no fear in death. It's been defeated. Jesus is raised. And this means great purpose in life great purpose in life. What is God like and how should we think of him? He is exactly like Jesus, this Lord of love and life and hope. He is the Lord who always gives of himself to share his abundance. Verse 19 and 20 tells us that in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the crux of it. What is God like? How is he most clearly seen? Not primarily in creation, though you do see him there. Not primarily in temples, though he has dwelt in temples. Not primarily in spectacular signs, though we see something of him there. We see God most clearly in his son on a cross, pouring himself out for all. The reformer Martin Luther said 500 years ago, No other God have I but thee, born in a manger, died on a tree. That's God. That's God. In Jesus, all the fullness of God dwells. All the authority of God is found in him. All the power of God is found in him. All the wisdom of God is found in him. All of the righteousness of God is found in him. All the holiness of God is found in him. All the justice of God is found in him. All the mercy of God is found in him. All the peace of God is found in him. All the promises of God are found in him. All the life of God is found in him. In Jesus, nothing is lacking. And in Jesus, 
nothing is held back from us. Nothing of God is held back. He communicates his fullness to us in shedding his blood, laying down his life on a Roman cross in order to reconcile you and me and all things to himself, to bring us peace. Don't we all want peace? Isn't the world crying out for peace? Everyone is. Everyone's shocked by the fact the world is more corrupt than we thought it was. But really, it's worse than we know in some ways. And we all desire peace. This world's so beautiful. And then in some ways, so lost. Has a God who is so committed to it. So committed to it. Everyone wants peace. Augustine of Hippo puts it like this. He says, Our hearts were made for you, O Lord, and they remain restless until they find their rest in you. There's no peace outside the love of God. The Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's our common condition. Traced back to our first ancestor, Adam. We're all born in Adam. We share his flesh. So we're all born in sin. It comes very naturally to us. It's not hard for me to be selfish or proud, to lust, to, to be greedy, to covet. We all need forgiveness. We all need to be brought back to God. We made ourselves Lord and so cut ourselves off from the Lord of life. We all die. It's our common condition. In Adam, we sin and we die. God has given us his son that by faith in him, we may come out of Adam and be put in Christ. Born again. And joined to him, we're joined no longer to sin and death, but to righteousness and life. It flows from him to us. It's all found in him. God has reconciled to himself all things, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. As Jesus was whipped and mocked and shamed and beaten, rejected and hung up on a cross, emptied and poured out, what flowed out of him? What flowed out of God in that moment? The words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Forgiveness flowed from him to us. Reconciliation from him to us. He took our sin and he gave us, he gives us his righteousness. He takes our death. He gives us his life. He takes our restlessness. He gives us his peace. He says, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. His blood poured out represents his life poured out and offered up for us. He gives himself for us, the Lord of creation, to create us anew. We do nothing. We simply trust him. 
we just simply say, I'm going to turn from sin and death, and I'm going to accept righteousness and life that's not natural to me, that's given from you. We just, we just receive. It's all gift. It's all gift. Where, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. We just receive. His gift of himself. And you just see him and say, yes, you are God, my God. You are Lord, my Lord. You are Savior, my Savior. What is God like? He is exactly like the Lord Jesus. A self-giving, life-giving God of forgiveness and love. He is for me. He's my Lord. He's my God. He is for you. He's for you. He's for you. Take him. Your Lord, your God. And keep enjoying him. Your Lord, your God. Dick Lucas explains, if verse 19 tells us nothing of... If verse 19 tells us that nothing of God's fullness is lacking in Christ, then verse 20 asserts that nothing in the universe is outside the range of God's reconciling work in Christ. He is given for all to be received as a gift. His life poured out at the cross is for the renewal of all things. Nothing out of the reach of his love and life. This gift was secured at the cross It was announced in his resurrection and it's now proclaimed to all through his word just to be received as a gift. Remember Psalm 36, his love reaches to the heavens so not a corner of the cosmos will be untouched by the love of God in Christ. What does this mean practically for us who take him as our Lord? What does it look like to be the church? It means we're a resurrection people. We're a new creation people. We receive from him, not just once upon a time. We keep receiving from him the Lord, the giving Lord of love and life. We receive and then we give. Flows from him to those around us. So every activity we engage in that gives to those around us, bringing life and hope, is a prophetic action announcing Jesus is Lord and Jesus is for you. This extends to everything. It extends to how we nurture and educate our children, how we care for the vulnerable and sick, how we respect and honor the elderly. It extends to every bridge we build within communities to bring greater connection and less isolation, further unity between cultures and races and backgrounds. It extends to how we tackle poverty. It extends to how we speak up for the oppressed, how we bring recovery from addictions, how we give voice to the voiceless. It extends to how we conduct ourselves in work, in business, in offices, at university, in our homes. It extends to how we treat the environment, how seriously we take climate change, how well we steward what God has appointed us to look after. This is his world. He has not given up on it. A people under the generous Lord of life should be a generous people who bring life. It's who we are. 
we're united to the head. It's who we are in him. Enjoy being who you are. Those of you who say yes to the Lord, enjoy being who you are. Today, who do you say God is? Who is your Lord? Are you enjoying Jesus' lordship? He's the giving Lord. Are you constantly receiving from him? This is the posture of the Christian life. I need you. If you feel yourself needy today, that's great. That's exactly what you need to be to come to him. I feel myself very needy. And I see in him a God that loves to give of himself, his fullness. And you know what? The extent to which you receive from him will be the extent to which you're able to give joyfully. I was so blessed by the joy in the room earlier today as we gave, just an expression of giving. Uh, That comes not naturally to us of our flesh. It comes only naturally from the Lord of life and love and giving who unites himself to us and transforms us to be more like him. We give to the extent that we're receiving from him. But perhaps, perhaps there's just, uh, the majority of people in this room would say already, yeah, Jesus is my Lord. I, I want him. I see him. I want him. He's yours. And, and there may be, though, one or two who would say, actually, I, I'm not sure Jesus is my Lord. I, I, I've not known this God you speak of. Don't you just want to come under his lordship? Don't you just want him? Even for the first time, you will find no other Lord is kind and generous and patient and forgiving and life-giving as the Lord Jesus. Let's be clear, everybody has a Lord. You, you, You may not be conscious of it, everyone has a Lord. We all do. Maybe for you it's money or sex or reputation or family or religion. There is something you serve, something you lean on, something you uh, prize above everything else and find your comfort in. God's invitation to you today is to turn from that Lord, which will only, whatever it is, it results in death. God's invitation is to turn and receive from my son life and righteousness. Jesus is the Lord of life. Jesus is the Lord of love. Jesus is the giving Lord. He is God. And in him we see what God is like.